0: Uh, this morning, Obadiah. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I find great, uh, I enjoy uh, being able to step away and just look at one book of the Bible for a week. Uh, the last couple of weeks were tough as we were going right through Amos, and there was nine chapters. Obadiah is a lot easier. It's one, uh, it's, it's, it's only got one chapter, um, it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. <coughs> I titled the Sermon, The Prince of Peace Has an Army. <coughs> Uh, It was back and forth between that and Merry Christmas, You Filthy Animal from uh, Home Alone. So it was one of those two, uh, but I kind of fell on something to be a little bit more friendly. The Prince of Peace has an army, Obadiah. Uh, Again, as it was with Amos last week, I've never preached a sermon from Obadiah. I've never heard a sermon from Obadiah. Um, I only studied Obadiah to pass my Bible exam, and I don't think I've studied it since. So in about 30 years, I really haven't had much to do. With Obadiah, There's not much that we know about him. He was kind of an unknown prophet. He doesn't show up uh, in these other books. Uh, and this is all he has written. But we do know that he uh, wrote uh, inconsistent messages with his contemporaries, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so uh, it, it's not that there was something that uh, we couldn't do without, unless Obadiah was given to us, but it really does stand... In an interesting way, so as Amos is directed to God's people particularly, Obadiah is directed to Edom, uh, and that is Israel's southeastern neighbor, Edom. Uh, They were the descendants of Esau, and and so uh, they had this brotherhood with Jacob, and, and there were seasons where they got along really well, and seasons where they didn't get along really well. It was situated in a place where trade would come through. And as we'll see when we read the book, uh, Edom was, uh, was a pretty proud nation, full of proud people. Uh, the timing is also up for grabs. Uh, it, it, most commentators say it was around the 6th century B.C. Um, it was either then or even before, uh, because what we read about is they took part in the atrocities that happened to Israel and Judah as it was taken into captivity. Um, so um, And that'll make sense as we read it. Uh, So Edom, their their main sin that he addresses is their pride. Now, again, it's interesting for us because this is a prophet of God prophesying to Gentiles, prophesying to people that really weren't God's people. How, How will the people of God deal with the sins of those who don't belong to God. And uh, their sin was pride, but there are lots more. We'll read about them. Uh, Betrayal, theft, murder. Um, But the primary message is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming and you deserve it. Judgment is coming and you deserve it. Obadiah. We're going to break this down into four parts. We'll start with the reading of verses 1 to 9. You may remain seated. Uh, If you have a bulletin, it's that last page. Uh, Obadiah, verses 1 to 9. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, "'We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up! Let's rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations.'" You should be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunders came by night, how have you been destroyed? Will they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom, an understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. This is the prophecy of judgment on Edom. Now, there's something they do in prophetic books in the Old Testament. They, they sometimes speak in part for the whole. So, at some point, it, it, it could be confusing. It says Esau, it says Edom, uh, Sierra Teman, uh, You'll see it when it when it's referenced to the people of God. It might be called Ephraim, my beloved, as, as Jeff was talking about, or Joseph, my beloved, or David, um, my people, in part for the whole. A couple things that I want to point out uh, in this prophecy, and especially in these first nine verses, is there is a conditional nature to prophecy. We'll see this more next week when Jonah comes to Nineveh and says, Here's what's going to happen. All right, So you can hold Nineveh up. Again, it is again not a, not a Jewish city. It's an Assyrian city. And Jonah comes and says, you're going to be destroyed. You've got 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. Right? It's a conditional nature. And so sometimes you read these prophecies and you're like, well, man, that's just kind of harsh. He's just saying this is going to happen. Some people say, take it that way. Other people take it like God knew it was going to happen. And so he said, this is, this is going to happen. I know it's going to happen. I don't have any part of it. That is not true here. Our God is very clear that his word came to Obadiah, that it wasn't Obadiah's thoughts. It wasn't Obadiah saying, okay, you guys, you know, you laughed at us and we were being carried away and we were being slaughtered and we were being pillaged. Yours is coming. I know it. No, God himself says, this is my word concerning these people, and this will happen. Um, It is not just God foreknowing something. It is God directing. I, the Lord, will do it, he says in verse 8. I, the Lord, will do this. Uh, We'll see that through the rest of this prophecy. But he also says, here's what you're thinking. So what we'll see in 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 this, this book, in prophecies in general and in life in general, what you believe is shown in your behavior, Here is what you believe, and this is going to be shown in your behavior. And so he said earlier, Edom was a proud nation. There are at least five things he points out that they take pride in. And so it's interesting as I list these five things, I want you to think again about yourself, about our country, about our community, about Oklahoma. Um, What are these five things? The first he says in verse 3, is you live high in the rocks. They have this location in the cleft of the rock. Where they live is particularly safe. They look down on other people, literally and figuratively. There's a trade route that comes through, and where they live, where they are situated, they say, we're safe. There is no one that's going to come up here and take us down. Now, you know, in any kind of warfare, maybe not today when it's drones and stuff, but in the old days, warfare, the high ground, right? We even use that term, you've taken the high ground, right? The high ground is the advantageous position, the proverbial catbird seat up in the top. And they're saying, that's who we are. We've got this place, and we're secure. As we watch nations come in and pillage and plunder, our, our stepbrothers or our brothers here—they uh, ain't gonna get us. Give it a try. The second verses five to six is they feel secure because of what they own, and it's interesting. Uh, God tells them, wouldn't a thief, uh, if a thief comes in, don't they just normally kind of take what they need? But not so with you. Nothing will be left. Not even the gleanings will be left. You have taken pride in where you live. You have taken pride in all that you possess. Gold and clothing and food, wine. That's going to be taken from you. Thirdly, your allies have deceived you. Verse 7, all your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They've prevailed against you. Those who ate your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Your allies have deceived you. Those you have trusted have betrayed you. This is a common theme throughout the Scriptures. Isaiah chapter 2 says, Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is but a breath. Of what regard is he? In James, he says, "What, what, what is a man? He is just a mist. He's a vapor. They're there in the morning and they're gone. The prophet says to Edom, You have trusted in allies, and they will betray you. Fourthly, in verse 8, your wise men will be destroyed. The wisdom, your counselors eat them. Those who told you this is the right thing to do, this is what you should trust, this is how you should spend your time, this is what you should worship, this is what you should love, this is what you should hate. Your wise counselors are going to be destroyed. Fifthly, your mighty men will be dismayed and slaughter awaits them. Your strength, your warriors, your military, it will not save you. So there are five things he lists there that Edom takes pride in. Edom replaces a need for the Almighty God in. We have a place, we have stuff, we have wisdom. We have great friends and allies, and if they all fail, we have our military. That's Edom, sitting on a hill, saying, here's what we got. And you know that when human beings are in that state, they're the least likely to reach out to God. They're the least likely. When everything is at comfort, when the world around them tells us you have made it, you have arrived. You're good. You're secure. They're least likely to reach out. And so the question is wow, um, this is going to be bad, right? What's going to happen to these folks? It's going to be awful. Um, why? Well, that's verses 10 to 14. Verses 10 to 14 give us then this reason for the judgment. Here's why uh, they, here's what they did. So we say this is what they believe. This is what they held in high honor in the first nine verses. And as a result, this is what they did. Okay, So it's important we have those two together all the time. right? If, if you are looking at yourself and saying, I want to stop doing this. I want to stop doing this activity. I want to stop acting this way. It's always important to not just say, I'm going to just stop doing that. But to say, what am I believing what am i holding as precious in my mind in my heart that is causing me to act this way against a brother against a sister against god against my employer what am i believing over here okay so this is what they believe this pride in their heart based on all these things that they had acquired or they had and then it results in this behavior that we see in chap- in verses 10 to 14 it says because of the violence done to your brother jacob shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever <coughs> On that day you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of the people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over this disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his refugees, his his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So you see the poetic things. like These are the things you're not to do. And they did all of those things. All right, so you have a nation sitting there and watching another nation have atrocities committed against them. And they stand aloof and say, we don't care. Now I know I mentioned that series before, The Band of Brothers, but there's something amazing about it. It's definitely not for children, but it's, it's a group of men who leave the U.S., to go rescue other people. They leave the comfort and the pleasures of home to stop atrocities somewhere else. And of course, we, we, we nicknamed that generation the greatest generation. I'm an old man now and I, we tend to look back and say, in the good old days, we were like this. Well, they weren't all holy soldiers by any means. America wasn't just you know God's people going to rescue them from the evils, but but there was a sense we have an obligation to the suffering of others. Now this is a Christian principle. Christian God Himself giving value to human beings necessitates we give value to human beings. And what we see here is quite the opposite. All right, so uh, what they were called to do. And then there are five things that they do here. First, it says they stood aloof. Okay, so for uh, the younger people that don't understand that term, aloof is kind of like, meh. I'm hurt and I'm struggling, meh. It's not up to me, sucks to be you what it is Uh, it's a distance it's I'm not moved by it I see these horrible things happening to you and I'm just kind of glad it's not me I don't care secondly they entered the gates okay so it's an interesting thing what they held as uh, as giving them security was their location it was impenetrable they thought what did they do? They, they went in to someone else's place, someone else's land, someone else's home, someone else's fortress. And you can see how all of this builds that sense of pride, doesn't it? <laughs> you couldn't keep track of your own family, your own goods. We're going to come and take it. So they enter in. Um, thirdly, they took wealth. They took things. Again, it shows what was important to them. We've hoarded up all these goods, but of course they're never ever enough. So while Judah is down, we're going to join in and take what is not ours. Fourthly, they boasted, they gloated over the misfortune of others. They stood there and watched. They partook of the plunder and then they boasted about it and they gloated Fifthly, they stood at the crossroads there to make sure no one got away. If the judgment in the first nine verses seems harsh, it it is what our God deems just for this behavior. This behavior comes from the gods in the first nine verses. Romans 3 looked at it months ago, all of sin, fall short of the glory. Romans 6 sin, the wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9 it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. They delighted in the destruction and the exile of God's people by the Babylonians, and not only did they help, but they took part with those who did evil. When we rebel against God, the same will be said of us. We will hurt other people boasting and gloating over their calamity move to the next verses 15 to 18 these are the results of that judgment he says now for the day of the Lord is near upon all nations and as you have done it shall be done to you your deeds shall return on your own head for as you have drunk on my holy mountain so all the nations shall drink continually they shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been <sighs> Verse 17. It's just one of those great big buts in the Old Testament. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. And it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. And there will be no survivors for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. All right, not five things here, just three. Okay, three quick things. Right, number one, God's economy. We, have to, we We live in God's economy, okay? And he is saying, as you have done, so will be done to you. You have done these things, and in my justice, the same will be done to you. Second, the imagery here, I want to make sure you understand. He's talking about drinking and being swallowed up. What he's saying is, as you... When the plunder was done, you took the wine, which was always a sign for them of wealth and stability uh, and longevity. You, You took the wine and you drank a toast to yourselves over the destruction of Judah. Your enemies will do the same to you, but the fact that they will swallow it means there will be nothing left. You will not be anymore. There is no nation of Edom. There is no people of Esau. That's the near prophecy. We'll talk about the far prophecy in these last few verses. But uh, that, that imagery, drinking and being swallowed up, uh, we will also talk about it when we come to the table this morning. Drinking the cup. Third, there is a remnant that will survive. Verse 17 and 18, there is a remnant that will survive. It uh, is It is temporary. As the exile was temporary for the people of God, their punishment is temporary. And so he's distinguishing between these two. Eden will be carried off, but the house of Judah, the house of Jacob, the house of Joseph, uh, there will be a remnant. There will always be. Abiding on planet earth until Jesus returns, a remnant of God's people. The punishment would happen even while Israel was in, in captivity. And God, in showing that punishment to Edom, also shows us and Israel what our sins deserve. We close with this fourth section, verses 19 to 21, the salvation of God's people. Verse 19 to 21 Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. And those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of his host of people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Shephard shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is the good news of the gospel in Obadiah. The Prince of Peace is coming, and he has an army, and he will make it right. Now look at at the contrast of the first nine verses. Esau, you boasted in these things. I will give these things to my people. These things aren't what save you. These things aren't what give you significance. I'm the one who saves you, and I give you significance. These things that you earned by your own hand, that you worked hard to hold on to achieve, were never safe. They'll be taken away from you. What I give my people will never be taken away from you. So, uh, <clears throat> there's four things here. First, their rescue would be total. And their return greater than their exit. And brothers and sisters, it is always that way with our God. If He wrestles from your heart an idol, an object, a thing, it is in order to replace it with something better and deeper and more wonderful. He rescues us from sinful behavior and idolatry, and He gives us Himself. Secondly, part of this has not been fulfilled yet. So our God spoke to His prophets of near and far prophecies. Uh, This would happen. And so Israel returns from their exile. Uh, the, The full import of this prophecy has not yet happened. They received their land. They got land back. But this greater unfolding is yet to come. Thirdly, the saviors that He sent were in the days of God. He would send the prophets, priests, evangelists to rescue His people and to lead them back. But fourthly, the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And He is speaking about after this restoration when Christ will rule over all. The sermon in the sentence this morning is that our God knows the end from the beginning and He is sovereign over all things, seen and unseen. So I want to leave you with three applications from this. Number one, pride is a liar and a thief. Pride is a liar and a thief, and everyone sitting here and this guy standing here has it. It is something, oh human, you will have to wrestle and be aware of your entire life. Pride sneaks in and gives you some sense of worth and value and significance apart from Christ. In fact, it's my greatest fear. I pray this to the Lord all the time. Father, I I don't want to just have you. I want to have a thriving church. I want to have a a family that adores me. I want to have... And and those things, again, aren't wrong in themselves. But the thought that, that, that scares me is, if everything is taken away from you, am I enough? And I know the answer is yes. And So brothers and sisters, we will fight pride in all different areas. But it is a liar and it is a thief. Its comfort is fleeting. Its lies are unfounded. And its objects are untrustworthy. It tells us we're in control. It tells us to follow our hearts. It tells us our feelings are the only thing we can trust. It separates us from each other. And from the greatest helper ever, the Holy Spirit. It sets us against God, who is the lover of our souls. It ruins human relationships. Pride is a liar and a thief. It tells you just a little bit more, just a little bit longer. And you'll finally feel the way you want to feel. It tells you if you just had what they had. It was the undoing of Edom. All right? Even when they sat up there and, great, we've got our possessions, we've got our place. What did pride tell them? It's not enough. Pride tells you you've got to have what other people have. Ask God to remove the high place in your heart. And ask God to be the wise man, the mighty man. Ask God to be the possession that you hold clear, closest and dearest. Ask God to help you live in humility and grace. Second application. Oh, brothers and sisters, choose your friends and allies carefully and critically. There will be people outside the family of faith that you befriend, but be careful with them. Be careful with them. They should never, ever encourage you away from God or from His people. They should never, ever encourage you to miss His worship. They should never, ever be primary in all things. They should never, ever put down your God or His Word. Instead, your friends, your allies must be those who help you turn and return to God. Be careful. Be critical of those people that you listen to, whose opinion you value. Edom had these allies. They thought, even if we're not good enough, these people are good enough. Hey, we took Judah together. Remember, we were there. We were there pillaging it. Imagine their thoughts when the Babylonians came in and took them away. We thought we were friends. We thought we could count on you. Choose your friends and allies Critically, and remember this, Christian. Thirdly, that all's well that ends well. Our story will end well. But, it, but we even see in life, don't we? We see these people do wonderful things, uh, and then right before they die, some scandal comes out. Right? Some scandal comes out, and 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 that's all we remember. Right? We take down their pictures, we don't watch their movies, we w- whatever. right? We, we think, oh, this whole time we looked up this person, looked up this person, and we found out they were this, and we found out they were that. Brothers and sisters, for the Christian, we will end well. That Prince of Peace is coming, and he will bring an army, and he will destroy all sin and all causes of sin. That's the promise that we have. And God will dwell among his people. And we won't have to even tell our neighbor, know the Lord, for the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters fill the sea. That's where we are going. When King Emmanuel comes, Christmas is the near prophecy. Jesus' coming, it's the near prophecy. You know how I know that? Because Jesus himself says it. In John 14, as he's telling his disciples that he's leaving, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. The Father is greater than I. Verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus is speaking in prophetical language to his disciples. I'm going to be taken away from you, and you will mourn, and you will miss me, and you will cry, and you will be afraid. But remember this, I told you this. I mean taken away, I'm going to the Father. But I will come again. The far prophecy. I put in the conclusion, et tu, Brute? Um... We normally say et tu, Brute, kind of as a humor to one another. Uh, Again, for people that may not be familiar with Shakespeare, I'm not familiar with Shakespeare either, but I know enough to make it sound like I'm smart. Shakespeare's version of Julius Caesar. As Brutus puts a dagger into Julius Caesar, uh, Caesar was supposedly said, et tu, Brute, and you... Brutus like he expected it maybe from the other six or seven assassins that came after him but what hurt him most was Brutus his friend stabbing a dagger in him and that's what happened to Edom they relied on all that they had on where they lived on their allies and they were betrayed yeah, beautiful thing, though, about our Christian gospel. Jesus can look at Peter and say, Et tu, brute? Peter denies him. Jesus can look at you and me and say, Et tu, brute? And you? you long for other Saviors? And you? You haven't been there to defend my honor and my name? And you? And yet, He drinks that cup. Christ drinks the cup of God's wrath, which we deserve. He drinks it. He swallows it to the full. It is finished, he cries, from the cross. And then he gives us a cup of salvation, a cup of joy, because he faced the wrath of God that we deserve. So Christian, when you see the undoing, of the ungodly, we're not to be like Edom. We're not to mock, we are to offer help. We are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. When we see the downfall of the wicked, we are to go to our savior and say, thank you father for not treating me as my sins deserve. May I ever feast at your table? May I live a life that demonstrates I serve other gods. I serve the God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your fulfillment that we can look back and see that you did indeed do to Edom what you said you would do to Edom. You held out, even in the prophetic message, a word of hope always a call repent and return and they failed to take that call oh father spirit and son help us think critically about our saviors help us father think critically about our friends our allies and father give us comfort that you have promised that it will end well And, O Prince of Peace, we long for your second coming. We long for the end of wars, rumors of wars. We long for the enmity between man and other men. And, Father, we long to be ruled by a prince who loves us and gave himself for us. Set apart these elements, Lord, that as we drink this cup, it indeed is a cup of salvation. It indeed is a cup of celebration. For you sent your son, it was a promise and you fulfilled it. And he died and he rose again that we might have faith even this day. And we rejoice in that as we eat the bread, Father. May we trust in all that he has accomplished on our behalf. That we will receive from you security, significance, and love for what Christ has done on our behalf. May we take it, Father, with reverence, but may we take it with joy. We thank you for this gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.